0: Chapter 22 The Holy Ghost, Spirit of the Son After considering and meditating upon the relations of our Lord with his Father, and the relations of the Father with the Son, and what was the glory of the Father and the communication of this glory to the Son, let us consider the relations of the Son with the Holy Ghost, the unity of the Son and the Holy Ghost. This exercise is not without difficulty and sometimes seems all too abstract during the course of mental prayer and meditation. To attempt to elevate our minds and hearts to the nigh inaccessible regions where the Blessed Trinity dwells and to place ourselves in its presence, let alone to comprehend the bonds which unite the Lord, both man and God, with his Father and the Holy Ghost, can seem to be too much to try. For this, we have the very words of our Lord in sacred scripture, words which are very precise and which we cannot neglect. The Holy Ghost plays a very important part in the accomplishment of the Incarnation. Of course, the Incarnation is the work of the entire Trinity and not just that of the Word who became flesh. It was to show this that the Father and the Holy Ghost were shown visibly united to the Son during the Lord's baptism. It is especially in the Gospel according to St. Luke that most mention is made of the action of the Holy Ghost. We all have in mind the role of the Holy Ghost in the mystery of the Annunciation and the Incarnation. The angel Gabriel, replying to the Blessed Virgin Mary, explained, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee, and therefore also the Holy which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Luke one thirty-five. This is the first mention of the Holy Ghost in the work of the Incarnation. A little further on we read, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was in him and he had received an answer from the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Christ of the Lord. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. Luke two twenty-five to 27 From this it appears that it was especially the Holy Ghost who manifested the Incarnation. He effected it in the Most Blessed Virgin Mary, and he manifested its accomplishment through the old man Simeon. Once again it is Luke who provides the account of the Lord's baptism. Now it came to pass, when all the people were baptized, that Jesus, also being baptized and praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape as a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Luke 3 twenty one to twenty two in the fourth chapter the evangelist adds and jesus being full of the holy ghost returned from the jordan and was led by the spirit into the desert luke four one these few passages from the gospel truly reveal what the good god has done for us How can we not be filled with admiration when we consider how God desired to manifest the presence of the Holy Ghost, first during the conception of Jesus, then again in the manifestation which was proclaimed by Simeon, and again during the baptism of the Lord, when he was manifested in a corporeal manner together with the words of the Father? From this, it is clear that it is not possible to affirm, as some do, that the divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ was not made clear in the Gospel until the very end of his life, or even more so that the Lord himself was unaware of his own divinity until the very end of his life. Such an interpretation is utterly impossible, and yet this is what some of our modern theologians say. These passages of the Gospel also give insight into the union that exists between Jesus and the Holy Ghost, as it is written once again in the Gospel according to St. Luke, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. Luke 4.14 There is here a great imminence, so to speak, of the Holy Ghost in the Lord, an indwelling much greater than that effected by sanctifying grace. The simultaneous presence of the three Persons in the Blessed Trinity shows forth the equality of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, that is to say, the consubstantiality of the three Persons. Our Lord Himself affirms this in the Gospel according to St. John. Here the affirmations concerning the Holy Ghost are even more explicit. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will ask the Father, and he shall give you another paraclete, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, nor knoweth him, but you shall know him, because he shall abide with you, and be in you. I will not leave you orphans. John fourteen, fifteen to 18 in chapter sixteen, the Lord again returns to this subject. I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will teach you all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself. John sixteen twelve to thirteen. The sentences that follow express what is most characteristic of the Holy Ghost and his relations within the bosom of the Blessed Trinity. But what things soever he shall hear, he shall speak. And the things that are to come, he shall show you. He shall glorify me, because he shall receive of mine, and shall show it to you. John sixteen thirteen to 14 Previously, the Lord had spoken principally of his father. My father will send him. My father will communicate it. Here, it is otherwise. The next sentences to follow in St. John's Gospel are truly mysterious and profound. All things whatsoever the father hath are mine. Therefore, I said that he shall receive of mine and show it to you. It is clear from this that the Son is equal to the Father. All things that the Father hath are mine. And so, to paraphrase, all that the Father gives the Holy Ghost to say is mine and comes from me too. The Holy Ghost will receive what is mine. The intimate union of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost is shown. Truly, the reality of the Blessed Trinity is the great mystery of the faith. It is the affirmation of the divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the indissolubility of the Holy Trinity. We do not have the right to not confess the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or to separate one person from the other, for example, to confess the Father only, because the three persons are consubstantial. St. John says it quite clearly in his epistles. Whoever divides the Son has neither the Son nor the Father. In our faith, it is not permitted to separate the persons of the Blessed Trinity. This has ramifications. For instance, it cannot be said, as we often hear said nowadays, that we have the same God as the Jews and the Muslims. People talk frequently about the three great monotheist religions, placing them on the same level as if we adored the same God. Indeed, by the very fact that the Jews reject Jesus Christ, by the very fact that the Muslims do not recognize the divinity of our Lord, neither the one nor the other adores the same God we do. It is absolutely impossible to say that they have the same God as we, because it is not true. From the moment you refuse our Lord, you refuse the blessed Trinity you refuse God. Our Lord Jesus Christ is not separated from the Father. They are consubstantial. There is only one God. From the moment you deny Jesus Christ, you no longer adore the true God. It is unbelievable, but nonetheless a fact, that these are commonplace errors to be met with in the writings and in the words of priests, theologians, and even bishops. Even the highest authorities in the church speak of the three great monotheist religions.